Pick up your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Celebrity Interview. Hello listeners, today we've got another interview. Today we're talking to Carl from Crooked Dice. Morning, Carl. Morning, all. Morning, Carl. It's a pleasure to speak with you this sunny Tuesday morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm gunmetal grey here. I'm, yeah, I'm gray. same here. <laughs> you probably know Carl best as being uh, the, the guy that runs uh, Crooked Dice, where you can get all your nostalgic models. He runs on a series of very successful Kickstarters. But uh, Carl, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Busy, 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 as always. So uh, lots going on. Shows are kicking off again. Uh, and we're planning all the stuff for this year. So, yeah, a lot on. I know we're looking forward to uh, hopefully getting, and unfortunately, I know Salute, I believe, has been cancelled for this year, hasn't it? But I know there's a few other uh, shows. I mean, they just had it one just in November. But we're looking forward to getting out to a, a few more shows ourselves this year. I think everyone's looking forward to things opening up. I guess that leads us into our first question. How have things been over the last few years with um, COVID hangover, everyone said? I hope you've gone from strength to strength. Well, you know, I was working from home to start off with anyway. You know, Crooked Towers is is very glamorous in the fact that it's our converted garage. Um, so uh, it wasn't much of a stretch to, to to kind of adapt from that point of view. But I guess like everybody else, you say to a hobbyist, well, you're going to have to stay in the house for the next 18 months. <laughs> uh, and we're and we're going to pay you to do that if you're lucky enough to kind of get that. Um, so, yeah, everyone went online and, and got their their stuff that way rather than going to shows or kind of physical stores um so we have been very very lucky in in that regard you know there's people that have have, have certainly not been so um but it's been buoyant kind of throughout really as people want to try and keep themselves occupied at home so i know we spoke to uh peter from bacchus uh, a couple of episodes ago and he said the issue was you know we're getting too too many orders coming in (laughs) that's a nice that's, that's a nice problem obviously we'd rather not have covid but it's a nice problem to have yeah, um, my wife sadly got um, uh, sort of lost her job when furlough started oh, no. uh, right at the very beginning of it. But quite frankly, it was something of a, of a of a boon because she's been here helping out, kind of managing the extra orders, really. So it's been it, it's worked out kind of rather well. Um, and we've been between that and the kind of Kickstarter that we've been doing. It's been um, it's been it's been pretty busy, to be honest with you. Yeah. I could do the do the. You'll break. We had a couple of days off over Christmas. It's quite nice. But I can't complain. There's far, far worse things to be doing. So, uh, um, yeah, no complaints. I mean, I've been following the tra- trajectory of um, Crooked Dice, and it seems like you guys are going from strength to strength with you know, new releases, new Kickstarters, you know, great engagement with the, with the community. Um, but I mean, what, what would you say is the ethos behind uh, Crooked Dice? If you had to describe, you know, the ranges that you have. Um, well, we when we first I mean, we started in 2010 ish, we were doing a couple of kind of fan base things before that. Um, so what's that sort of 12 years? So and we kind of looked at other people and said, OK, well, we don't really know how to do this. But if we do it and we might not be doing it for long, if we, you know, but we want to kind of do it well. Um, and it's kind of a niche within a niche of the hobby, the sort of stuff that, that we do. Um, so it's it's the ethos has always been try to do stuff that you can't kind of get anywhere else. Um, really and touch on some of those nostalgic little keystones that that people um like and enjoy so that they can game that kind of thing on their tabletop really that's that's what drives the releases and drives a lot of the kind of seven tv background as mm-hmm. well you know? um playing games in a in a kind of a 
in a TV station that never existed, really. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's fantastic. Like you think of all your childhood nostalgic TV shows and movies and so on, and you go and, and there are legally distinct uh, versions of those on your uh, on your website to to pick up. I mean, what came first? Was it the love of gaming or the love of like brilliant old TV shows and movies? Um, probably both, and it's it's difficult to kind of separate the the two. Um, I online bumped into um the delightful mr graham dawson uh who was uh, basically wrote his own uh, rules uh, fan-based um rules for doctor who and just going and i was a massive doctor who fan as well and a war gamer and both of us happened to be kind of graphic designers as well so we kind of separated at birth um and uh we ran that for two or three years and a little kind of community behind that just writing rules when the episodes came out and 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 that kind of thing um and we did approach the bbc about producing a game kind of back in the day just when i think when matt smith was just uh, was it matt smith or no maybe when tenant was taking over anyway um and they were very, very reasonable and very, very nice, considering it was kind of a worldwide property. But it was a little bit too much for a kind of two guys that were just pottering about in the back room, really. Um, so, um, 7CV, I, I approached Graham and said, well, rather than just doing kind of just a Doctor Who game, why don't we do something which is a bit broader than that? Where you can play any TV show that you particularly liked. And I'd run that same concept quite a few years before for my kind of my gaming friends. Um, and we all had a little kind of bespoke system that we do we'd always use so we kind of we built on that really and kind of bolted the, the sort of the two ideas together Graham's ex existing skirmish rules with some narrative stuff and, and broadened it out from from there really but the tv side of it was easy I mean it's ingrained from me being it was the, the best babysitter I ever had um, and uh, that so it, it's kind of built in which means all of those kind of shorthands and tropes and things that you kind of wrote about are really easy to I, it's, it's slightly trite, but I always say it kind of writes itself sometimes. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's it's uh, it's not quite the case, uh, but um, you know that's uh, it's it's not a strain. It's a joy to do. Yeah, I mean, it's very much of the the narrative. It's you know the game, the seven TV, is much of the narrative, isn't it? And I always talk about. I got asked a, like a, a question. Someone was like, "How would you build narrative into a war game?" And I was like, "That sounds like a weird question to me because." The very nature of playing a war game, it is a narrative. You know, the very most basic storyline is you start at point A, you end at point B. There's definitely a story. Whenever I play a game, I'm rolling dice and things happen. I'm giving people names. I'm describing what's happened. I couldn't imagine there ever not being a narrative. But you take that and you put it on steroids and make this this whole wonderful game. I think it's yeah, fantastic. I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. I've, I I couldn't imagine not doing that. That's the way that we've always played. I I'd say I was never a particularly good role player and never a particularly good war gamer, but both those two things together and I'm sort of, I can just about get by. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, we've, we've always done that. And I've always, my first introduction to gaming was D and D. Uh, my, my oldest friends, um, their dad had been in the wrath had been played, had played with Napoleonic flats. Um, and Morgan bought, uh, the, uh, D and D and his dad ran it for us um and that was great and i killed my dwarf in about two seconds and had no idea what was going on uh, but i really really liked the handful of little metal figures that they had oh yeah so these were still puddle based um 
uh, kind of Citadel stuff and probably some Ralph Parfum in there as well, I would imagine. And I was fascinated by those, uh, even though we played kind of Macdeath with all the, the little cardboard counters kind of cut out. Our heroes and champions were, were the old figures. And that's the bit that I loved. And it's that it's um, it's creating the tiny worlds as well, whether that's narratively or, or with terrain, which honestly is my mm-hmm. great love. Um, so, yeah, I can't imagine not playing that way. Um, I mean, we've all been there before. And we've set a table of terrain up and we've looked and gone like, oh, do I have to ruin this by putting armies on it? <laughs> it just <laughs> looks so good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We'll strike a piece of cord just prior to the battle so we can save this terrain. <laughs> just take some photographs and then go down the pub. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing you just mentioned there about how, like, having little worlds to play in that, sort of taking off the jumping off point of like a movie or a TV show that you really like. Like it really appeals to me as in like the jumping off point for a game because like I've got this scaffolding of the world. I'm going to play it now. So I'm going to tell my own story inside this world and sort of like, from looking at some of the seven TV stuff, you saw uh, like the Apocalypse one, which is you know got the cover from. Yeah. Yeah, I, I never in my life had thought like a really cool game, and then actually going, I really want to play as a game. Like for for people who don't know the movie, I would describe it as a, a particularly jolly early nineteen yeah. eighties. Film set in Sheffield, where about the best thing that can happen to you is you're eaten by cannibals. Um, is is about the best. Uh, true would you today. describe it any different? That's before the bomb drops as well. Um, <laughs> sorry, Sheffield. It's not lovely much better. <laughs> um, yeah, it, there's some iconic things from your childhood. The front of the Radio Times, you know, is always a good place to start. Um, that's uh, that, that was a magazine for the younger viewers um, out there. They were a TV listings magazine. Uh, a magazine um, is a papery thing with stories like the internet. It's, it's Actually, exactly it's like that. But where someone's written them down. <laughs> weird, it's weird. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, there are, there are certain kind of iconic things or stories in there that you kind of, you either want to replay or you want to kind of retell, really, and have your own own setting. And that one particularly was quite hard hitting i know um, it scarred a lot of people it, it, my colleague peter wright who uh, worked with edgehill university can't watch it and um, it's just too much for him too close to home i think give people a double bill of that and when the wind blows you know really really cheer them up for a sunday afternoon <laughs> really jolly oh get the family around shall we get in the bags now <laughs> oh, <dear> me. <laughs> i was emotionally scarred by that film I think I think it's a thing of if you're a child in the 80s or you, you probably are emotionally scarred from a great many things. They were probably shown at about three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. It was Raymond Briggs. You're like, oh, fungus, the bogeyman, all that fun stuff. Mm. This is going to be just like that, only about total nuclear annihilation. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> it's miserable. There's um, uh, someone I work with called Steve Brotherstone, uh, who's doing a, a lot of artwork for us, is also the author of Scarred for Life. Um, which is a series of books that they've done and they did one on uh, 1670s and then they've kind of moved it on slightly and it covers all of the things that kind of upset you and disturbed you in your childhood and from TV to sweets to to, to everything um, and I can highly recommend both of those volumes of it if you if you like a little kind of trip back into do you remember that and you know if you play that game um, then that's a little treasure trove to be uh, to be enjoyed if you fancy something like that. I'll have to check that out. 
uh, my I, my particular love is the, like the seventies public information films. Uh, they do they've done a whole thing on that. In fact, we've got a little program guide on that very thing. Yeah, I, uh, in fairness, I've I've never gone swimming in a reservoir, so you know it did work. Uh, have you uh, have you ever have you ever done some petting or maybe some bombing in a swimming pool as well? I, I, I don't, ah, I don't ah. mean... Never been lucky enough. <laughs> <laughs> So we sort of talked about it a little bit, sort of some of the settings in that. How would you actually describe Seven TV to somebody who's maybe only ever seen the box art or actually never seen it played? Or Okay. At, it, at its heart, it's a, a player versus player skirmish game. So if you played any of those and you like that kind of thing, um, squad of kind of eight to ten people, then that's the figures. That'll do you grand. Um However, the way that I tend to pitch it to people is if there's a TV show or movie that you thought that would make a good war game, you'll be able to do it with 7TV. Um, the, <clears throat> the game itself has got kind of generic archetypes. So a flamboyant agent, but that could be uh, James Bond or um, Jason Bourne or Austin Plowers, depending on the kind of the, the tone of the game that you want mm. that you want to play. Do you want it to be slapstick? Do you want it to be a little bit more kind of um, hardcore? You can, you can play the tone whenever you want. So um, each box has got a hundred plus. I think Fancy's got over two hundred uh, kind of profile cards in it, which are all generic for you to pretty much play anything you anything you like. Um, and the mechanics and the accessories are kind of built around that. So little buffs that you get might be gadget cards or gear or artifacts depending on the kind of type of game that you're playing so um to date we've done four box games so there's the inch high spy fi one which is your james bond action adventure tv uh, apocalypse which is um david triffid's zombies mad max um uh, genre and, and and settings and then we did pulp which is the old cliffhanger serials um, from the 30s, so uh, a touch point for for our younger viewers would probably be Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then we did fantasy um, just uh, just last year as well, and we're working on 7TV the 80s uh, at the moment, which will be out in the in the summer with any luck. So we've just taken kind of well loved kind of settings and tropes and genres and and try to group those together in in the games, but the mechanics are the same across pretty much all of them. We just add a little bit more um, scope with each box, really. Do you feel there's there's many more left? Are you running out of? Is it is there not enough nostalgia left? I mean, mind all the nostalgia. Mind. I, I think we've done uh, with pulp and fantasy. We've done uh, a box every two years, mm-hmm. um, uh, and we'll I say we'll have eighties out this year as well. So I, I need a bit of a rest, I think, before I, I do any more. There's probably a couple of, of there's maybe one more. Uh, that we might be able to do down the line, maybe, maybe two. There you go. You said I never stop. They'll always yeah. be. I, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, it, we're covering quite a, and there's overlap between a lot of those as well. Of course. Because some shows, you know, they mash up a couple of different ideas. So, um, but yeah, we've got quite a lot covered at the moment, I think. I'll say, well, the good thing is every every ten years you get a new decade to do. So, <laughs> well, that honestly, <laughs> that's why we've done eighties because we're kind of moving with our demographic, even though. Yeah. Um, we did kind of 60s and 70s first of all with Inchai Spy-Fi. I'm really a, I'm a child of the 80s really in fact that's when yeah. my kind of viewing um, really started to kind of kick in and the thing I'd started to form the things that I liked and didn't. Um, I think it's good because it got, you, you, you saw the 80s movies but on TV you saw the 60s and 70s shows so you know 
Yeah, it's and it's nice just with the kind of the background stuff that we do. It's how things have changed in those kind of eras. In the eighties, for us, was very much the time of the US imports. All of those uh-huh. glossy, glamorous sort of one-hour shows that we would get. A Team, Night Rider, Rider, yeah, uh, Auto Man, the one Manimal, Manimal. Uh, mm. yeah, I, I, I can do the transformation impression. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I distinctly remember doing that in the classroom, doing the, yeah. the, the puma hand changing. <laughs> none of my schoolmates ever turned into a puma either, even though no. they really tried hard. But um, <laughs> I mean, I was about six at the time, so yeah. I could be excused. <laughs> so, yeah, so we kind of, it's a slightly different, it's a much more um, American style things i've taken a big chunk out of uh, john hughes kind of uh-huh. high school movies as well so it's a little bit more u.s centric than some of the stuff that we've done because you could, um, you could do home alone sorry it just popped into my head you could do home yeah. alone that'd be a great yeah, yeah. that's like you know three characters and off you go the most vicious movie in the you, yeah, oh absolutely i mean yeah. <laughs> when we watch movies at home I've, I've me and my son will sit there and um whenever something awful befalls someone we'll, we'll just say dead <laughs> like, like if, if something happens it would definitely kill you we just both go look at each other and go dead <laughs> uh there was a um there was a little video that went round recently about all of the different injuries that they would have actually sustained yeah um and uh it was and it was horrible yeah um there's <laughs> about like the death toll is that they're killed about 40 times each or something ridiculous <laughs> You know, yeah, so that's that's I would never imagine doing a war game of a home alone, but there you go. That's something that you know, have a look at your collection, think of your favorite movies. You know, I think yeah, I mean, it, I'm slightly ruined now because I can't watch anything without going, Oh, yeah, I could turn that into a game. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of what we've always done. It's my first, even when we were just doing kind of RPG stuff in there, we were kind of still adapting that. And mm-hmm. I had a thing where I would always cast actors as like the NPCs in there. Because it was a really good shorthand, you know. That's Michael okay. Douglas, and it was, yeah. you know, or, or he looks like Michael, and that just builds up a kind of a, a feeling and, a, and a, an image for players as well. So well, that's a really good tip for role players out there, for dungeon masters, as a shorthand to say, and they look just like Idris Elba. Ah, I know exactly yeah, yeah. what they look like. And if you're going <laughs> for a particular kind of trope or whatever, then that, that yeah. kind of it's still it's it's that shorthand that, that and we try to do that a lot with Seven TV. You know, you yeah. use those couple of keywords that people are really going to go, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, behind the curtain, I think a lot of creative writers do. You know, you need you're thinking of a character. You go, well, they look like person X, but their basic characteristics are character Y from this movie. You know, I think a, a good example is uh, is a just like uh, Roland and Stephen King's Dark Tower series, which is just uh, Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name. Yeah, yeah. It, he's, he he looks the same. He's described the same. Looks the same. Acts the same. Now, why, when you're trying to think of a character, what does this person's nose looks like? It's a lot easier if you just say, it's Mr. T. And then, you, you know, you're saving yourself a lot of legwork. It's yeah. a more different brain work. Um, you're sort of talking about there, like how you, you watch things and you think, oh, I could game this or that. Do you think that is, you know, I think when you're younger, you maybe don't sort of appreciate kitsch and cult stuff until you sort of get slightly older. You think, oh, well, this is, this is fun, but it's sort of, maybe a little bit naff you know like as a kid i watched the uh lord of the rings cartoon and thought this is amazing and then one summer me and my friend tried to play some lord of the rings game 
from the probably from the 70s and it was like we spent all summer playing it and i didn't think we'd get out of the shire had some like huge map that was unfolded that one foot in his bedroom when we unfolded it but then like we watched like i, I remember watching crawl and at no point watching crawl did i think i want to game this this is what i want to be spending my time with or like lady hawk or something like that you don't go this would be a really good game where you do i loved crawl it's a quiet taste <laughs> I, I'm talking about being scarred by a movie with the spoilers for if you haven't watched Krull by now. Sorry, guys. The bit when he tra- these, the, there's like the chameleonic guy and he transforms and he has the claws and he stabs the guy. That really messed me up when I watched it when I was little. <laughs> Back yeah, to the story. There's still those kind of iconic <laughs> kind of things, though, that you that you remember and 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 draw out and, and people have different tastes. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Krull either, to be honest with you. It always looks a bit. I don't know. It always looks a bit cheap to me. Um, but there, but there are other things in there that I'm completely enchanted by. You know, I can, I don't know really know where Luxembourg is, but there's not one thing I don't know about Doctor Who. You know, I could talk about that for days. So, um, and I, I, I watch those and love those, um, even though you know, it, all of the all of the the cliches that we say about wobbly sets and, and dodgy makeup back in the day, and I adore them anyway. So, um, it's horses for courses, I guess. But yeah, there's, I don't know. As a kid, if you've got, you know, George Lucas has had his money out of me over the years, but it was oh, yeah. the it was the figures because you could then play that, and that, you know, so you lived in that world and lived in your head. I think we've kind of all could recognise that, even if we didn't, you know, didn't all do it. But I, I don't know if I ever really grew out of it. No, um, yeah, there's a lot of truth there, isn't there, Carl? Hmm. It also seems like maybe the wider creative world is coming around to that as well. I don't know if either of you have seen the Star Wars Vision series. Yeah. But there's basically seven samurai set in the Star Wars universe, yes. which is fantastic if you like so those 1950s samurai movies. I think this is even better with lightsabers and Sith in it. Yeah, George Lucas's initial kind of... Um vision for it was in a space samurai in there so it's just kind of leaning back into into that again i guess um but yeah there is there's a as you get older the nostalgia and the kitsch that you were kind of mentioned in there you can look back at it uh, through rose-tinted spectacles and like oh, that's i guess that's what sin tv is um but it is a struggle to write that if you if you haven't quite gone through it when we did pop it was the first one that we did with their chill university so it was the students that were doing a lot of the kind of research work so we had to sit them down in front of those serials um and you know if people haven't watched them these were the 30s things that were put on for kids in cinemas as a weekly thing uh, and you'd go back so it's um three or four hours black and white stuff about 20 minutes long but the first five and the last five minutes repeated each episode as they kind of yeah you know, they're the kind of cliffhanger thing but they had to sit down and watch hours and hours and hours of things which honestly haven't dated particularly well either i, I remember watching flash gordon back when channel four first started as a kid and i didn't realize yeah. and i went back and watched it a few years ago and man it's a bit clunky hey well it's yeah. enough going back to watching the 80s cartoons like you watched the like i was a huge huge thundercats kid you try and watch thundercats in like your 30 like late 20s i think last time i watched it and you get about halfway through an episode and you're just like i'm out i, I, I can't I, I can't manage this so you know kudos to the students for sort of going back to something that must be completely alien because even they're not probably modern students probably even aren't going to really have the like the fondness for indiana jones which is sort of 
like a stepping stone to it, is it? Because you know, yeah. they had Crystal Skull when they were about seven or something like that. So Yeah, and it's interesting, even you can be just a few years difference between mm-hmm. you know us in there and what we liked and what we didn't and what we missed out. If you've got siblings, sometimes that extends yeah. you know, either way as you kind of watch with them or they had the toys or cousins or whatever it might be. Um but it only takes a couple of years for certain references to be completely lost on on an audience. You know, Flash Gordon I watched because it was put on on BBC Two uh, when Star Wars was researching because it was that was George Lucas didn't have the couldn't get the rights for Flash Gordon, so he made his own kind of Star Wars. So they put that on as a homage, and I remember being really enchanted by by kind of those and Harry House and stuff as well. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I can still I can still watch that today and be completely lost. On a on a little tangent, I'd still watch like um was it um Jason and the Argonauts with my son, he's seven, and we went to it was just pre-COVID. I yeah. took him to the cinema when he must have been like five years old. And uh, we're in the cinema and it's full of like old men <laughs> and me and my son, and we're watching Prince Charles Cinema in London. Yeah. And there's a scene when the Hydra comes out. Yes. And it's just before then he turns to me and goes, Daddy, Daddy. The Hydra's about to come out of the cave and seeing all these old men with beards turn around and just beam at him. He's so <laughs> excited to see how excited he was. <laughs> I think there is, I think there's still a magic in, in that, particularly yeah, in stop motion. Um, anytime there's a new stop motion thing that comes out, I can watch that. It's the art that goes into it. Just feel the love yeah. that kind of goes into sort of every movement, really. Um, but those, the kind of Doug McClure, Warlords of Atlantis, my dad took me to kind of see that. And they're very, I didn't really realise at the time, but very pulpy kind of things, the Earth's core and all of those. Yeah, man. Anything with a rubber dinosaur in it, and I'm there. Um, so all of those things kind of went in and, and stayed with me. I didn't think anyone else remembered uh, Amazing Mr. Blunden, um, but Mark Gatiss remade that, and that was on a, a Christmas. That's an old um, movie that I absolutely loved and has been in several adventures that I've written over the years. Um but yeah, there's just things that kind of just stay with you, really, that you just you kind of think, I'd, I'd like to try and do, do, other people so, to kind of love that. So do you have a wish list? I mean, obviously, I'm guessing that like Doctor Who is like your favourite of all time. Um, but are there any sort of TVs or movies, you know, you're like, oh, I really wish I could get away. I, I just could just do, I'm trying to think now what it might be, damn busters. I don't know, whatever it might be, you're like, that's something I've just not got a chance to do yet. Um, there's the wish list of, of sculptor things is that I've now put it onto a roll because it's easier to manage. <laughs> uh, do, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so no, I mean the range is pretty eclectic. Um some sometimes it's filling gaps, sometimes it's just mad things that I like to do. Every now and again a sculptor will put something up and go, I like it's it's sculpture and character design that I realised over the years that I've always really been drawn to. You know, there's um, whether it's kind of Cur- Jack Kirby kind of stuff, or um, there's a TV series, Ben 10, I don't, depending on yeah. the, the, the character design in that is absolutely wonderful. Um, Batman, the animated series, the style and the, the thing of that is my favourite version of, uh, the, of of Batman. So um, I can also recommend a, a, a Scooby-Doo series called Mystery Incorporated that they did a few um, years ago, which is a slightly more kind of, I don't know if he's adult, but there's an H.P. Lovecraft episode uh, or kind of pastiche in it. And I've a, watched it, that, yeah. It's really good. It's, <laughs> it's very good. Um, it's got a bit more of a, got a bit more um, plot to it. 
Yeah, it's there's They're a just being chased of, by monsters for half an hour. Yeah, it's not just monster of the week. There's a bit of an overarching kind of mm. plot to things and, and backstory to stuff. Um, but again, the just the character design in that. I mean, we've seen those characters reinvented countless times, but that one just really seems to work. The aesthetic of it kind of just quite like. So, I'm drawn to kind of different stuff. Um, Star Wars um, and Doctor Who are probably my kind of um, first loves. I guess I got into Marvel. Well, I got into comics, but Marvel comics when I was about ten or, or so. Um, and there's a back catalogue there, so it's nice to see the kind of MCU now sort of be enjoyed by everybody um so but there's, there's there's lots of different stuff i liked over the years there's certain movies that i think are kind of perfectly formed um ghostbusters and back to the future i think just kind of yeah. arrived as kind of classics um they did. really um but then yeah i've I soft spot for a lot of john hughes kind of 80s high school stuff breakfast club and those kind of things yeah i know you got such an eclectic collection and if you're playing a game you're like i just where am i going to find this particular model that i need my one of my probably the first place i would look would be the crooked crooked dice website shop and go and have a look and see if i can find something from your range and then i buy like five things that aren't what i was looking for but they're so amazing i, I didn't know i needed um so as a, as a cult leader but clearly i do yeah <laughs> Yes, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly for. I didn't know I needed that, but I now must have it in my life. Things yeah. like I need the local shopkeepers. Am There's I going to use them? No idea. Like I've got the. Like I've I've no idea how I'm going to use that in a game. I just want to have them to paint. I just have. I'm uh, I'm legally obliged to say I've never heard of any of the references that you're talking about now. Oh, the <laughs> legally distinct island priests. That's what I meant to say. That, that's the one. <laughs> well, Tom, beep out the names. <laughs> But the, oh. the folk horror stuff that you kind of mentioned uh, there, again, that's something, Wicker Man kind of um, yeah. uh, sort of state, that final scene, the, the scream of Edward Woodward at, uh, at the end there. Um, just I've got goosebumps actually just thinking about it now. There yeah, are certain man. things that just stay with you. Uh, and I've always been quite drawn to that kind of English folk horror. Kind of hot, hot take for me quickly, Carl. Which is more frightening, Christopher, uh, Christopher Lee's? Edward Woodward scream or the remake of the Wicker Man with the, of Nicolas with, Cage, which is more terrifying. With the bees. Um, uh, watching, I, I, watching the Nick Cage version. Uh, again, <laughs> I, I, I cannot stand Nicolas Cage. There's very little thing, very few things that I can watch him uh, in at all. Um, so I, I think I've seen the remake, but it's one of those ones where I don't really want to put my eyes onto this. Yeah, because I love the original Wicker Man so much. I was like, I'm going to watch this yeah. because I love the original so much. And uh, it wasn't to my taste. That's how I describe it. No, they were, they were just, I don't know. There were certain things, particularly with folk horror stuff, there's more, much more of a feeling and a mood and a kind of tone. Mm. Than the, I, I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but Midsummer I quite I like as, uh, as well. It's that kind of thing. It's the guy that did uh, Hereditary as well, which yes. was really good. Mm. One of the best horrors I've seen in a long while. It's about the atmosphere, isn't it? You know, yeah, definitely. The atmosphere and the, like, the confusion, like, what is going on? And then and then they burn them to death. Spoilers, everyone. And yeah, a lot of that is... <laughs> never, a lot of it's never really explained. There's things like Children of the Stones from back yeah. in the day. Uh, there's a couple of Doctor Who episodes that kind of touch on Stones of Blood and stuff like that that I yeah. always kind of really liked. I think it's like mid noughties or might be like early 2010s movie called Kill List, which is like an incredibly violent 
like British movie, like a couple of hitmen, but then it turns into very weird, full Wickerman style folk horror at the end, yeah. and you're like, I've got no idea what's going. On. <laughs> but it's it's fantastic, if not shockingly violent. There's if you like uh, the ritual is quite good with. Uh... Rafe Spall, I think, is in there. Um, it's about uh, guys who go on a, um, I think it's kind of like a stag weekend, or a, a lad's kind of weekend away up into up into the woods, you know, read on. Um, and there's 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 quite a few of those which I which I do particularly particularly like. There's even even just the, I get the same feeling in it from. Um, have you seen the remake of Wars of Gummage? Yes. <laughs> no. The Mackenzie yeah. Crook version. Mackenzie yeah. Crook, which is, I mean. I, if you saw Detectorists, um, and, and that's that, a great show, yeah, it's lovely, and it's in the same kind of feeling in it, but it's still got that slightly odd feeling of uh, about it, which I'm kind of always quite drawn to. And that's I thought that was one of the best remakes I've seen in a long while, actually. Um, when you're sort of trying to like make games and sort of try to appeal to obviously like a wider audience as possible, do you have to sort of be mindful of not going down too far the avenue of like weird British sensibilities, especially I think I think like I can't imagine a lot of sort of like especially like nineties British comedy transporting particularly well across the world. You know how you know I can't imagine many Americans sort of really understanding the League of Gentlemen. Uh, I don't know, but a lot of our customers are Anglophiles who kind of eat it all up anyway and kind of like it. But yeah, we do. I. If we're doing a particular genre of something like the folk horror one, you'll you'll kind of you'll cherry pick. People will scream me out for this, but you kind of cherry pick different things that kind of support the support the kind of tone um, of it. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there are just little in jokes, either kind of figures or particularly in the writing stuff. Sometimes I'm just writing um, for my four role playing mates with an in joke that we made back in 1987. <laughs> um, you know, in the, so occasionally it is that it is for my own ridiculous sense of something. But yeah, you don't try to do that kind of um, too often with the figure releases because, you know, if, um, you might not always like it, but you got to make sure it sells really at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been really enjoying. Um your Kickstarter is the featurette. So I don't actually have the pulp version of seven TV, but I went for the, I got the, um, the HP Lovecraft inspired. It was an Innsmouth one just because uh, I thought it was so good. I'm just going to get this because it looked amazing. You. There's so much, there was so much content for such a good price. And all the Kickstarter levels were being here and all this extra. I'm like, well, how can I not back this? Because I'm a bit of I love HP Lovecraft, so you know I was in I was in from the beginning anyway. I need to get myself a copy of the pulp. And you listeners at home, you also need to get a copy of the Seven TV pulp, uh, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is, uh, has just been reprinted. By the way, literally this weekend, I'm going down to pack the accessories, and it should be back in store um, within the next week or so. So there you go, get new... on it, everyone. Um, but I really like this um, the feature style of Kickstarter you're doing. Where it's like here's a little module and some figures and some bits and bobs so you can run a little narrative campaign for the game. Now and it all comes together in a, in a VHS tape case, of course, which it is does. inspired. But um, yeah, very very good. Yeah, we've um, all of the seven TV games really appeal to the um, the sort of player that likes to build it themselves. 
you know, and and, uh, and create their own casts and, and shows in there. Um, but there are a lot of people who either don't have the time or or would much prefer to have something kind of set out for them. So that's what the feature packs um, are. And we've done uh, two of those. The next Kickstarter will be for a kind of a Flash Gordon inspired kind of planet hopping um, one, uh, which will be out next month. And we've got oh God, three or four, probably more than that, um, in the works as well. Um, so we try to, yeah, that's a dedicated story with kind of named characters and a little campaign um, system for it. So you can, again, you can kind of play through your kind of favourite stories. And um, yeah, Lurkers from the Deep uh, was, the, uh, was the love for fun. And I think that's it's probably his most accessible story, I think, um, out of all of them. It's the one that's certainly got, it's got a chase in it. A couple of traces, in fact. Um, so it's it's uh, there's a bit more kind of excitement going on, and I always liked um, it's just the opening paragraph of it, which is what Lovecraft does really, really well, and um, which is he refers to the raid that the FBI did after this story. Yeah, and that's the bit. Oh, well, that's that's fascinating. You know, the 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 where the U.S. government starts to get involved with kind of cosmic horror bits and pieces, and what does that yeah. mean? So just kind of exploring and and pulling at that thread, really. Um, but yeah, no, they've been quite well. And with the Kickstarters, I think the next one, we did, I think we've done 10 now um, since 2018, I think is when we started. So was that four years? Um, so um, and they kind of work quite well because it just allows us to fund a nice chunk of figures, which are quite niche and bespoke. But for that particular setting, which if we were to put that into normal release, would probably take us, you know, years to be able to to get out. So um yeah, they've worked they've worked quite well um i think and uh we'd try to as you know i'm a, I'm a gamer and a punter first i always try to give people something which is reasonably priced and and kind of a, a high quality as, as much as we as we can because it's still only uh me standing on the shoulder of giants of uh, you know other sculptures and bits and pieces so but yeah they've gone quite well and we've you've got a brilliant kind of community behind us for the last 12 years as well that's that's the best thing yeah uh, and the most important thing about this is that um that community that kind of supports us kind of through thick and thin and makes up their own things and kind of uh, and gets it and likes that likes the games and the figures using like the, the parlance of like role playing is it a, a good way of thinking of the, the feature packs almost like a, a module where it's sort of like you get it these are the figures this is you want to run this this is what you need in the case that's exactly exactly it yeah i mean i we get we give it confusing silly names but it's exactly what it is it's just you know it's just a linked adventures um in there so um and just allows you to play through that that one particular kind of storyline really so yeah it's a it's a module uh but in a vhs case yeah. um, i thought it was really good the way that if you wanted to you could go all in and go like this is the game i'm gonna play for the next year i'm gonna chuck all this money at car but i'm gonna get all the scenery all the models i can go all in or you go quite low and get just get the module bits and pieces and, and a few extra stretch goals. I thought it was very I'm not being paid by Carl to say this, by the way. <laughs> but I I'm, thought it was very good value. I mean so good that I actually gave him my money because I thought it was good. Bless you. Thank you so much. No, I've always I don't I'm always conscious that I want to kind of give flexibility to people depending on kind of what their budget is. I don't want to twist anybody's arm to say you you know, you have to get everything in there always try to make it so it's scalable for people so if they just want that one bit or they just want to get that one pack of figures from it they we still give them the option to do that within a kickstarter um just it just seems the fair way of doing things really and it's 
Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more work, but nothing that we can't say, you know, it's only another line in the spreadsheet, really, when it comes down to it, uh, to, to work it out. So um, so why not, really? Uh, it's something we talk about on the show quite a lot, is that, like, if a game's got, a, or, like, any hobby product really has got a pretty accessible sort of, like, buy-in to give it a go, you go, well, I'm much more likely to give this a go, because if it doesn't work out, it's, you know, it's a night out that I've spent on it instead. But then if it's something that you really commit to and you've actually... Like, you know, there will be some people out there, you know, you mentioned Flash Gordon and they thought I've spent my entire life wanting to play Flash Gordon. I'm obsessed with Flash Gordon. I'm going, you know, whole hog into just playing retro sci-fi from yeah. now on. And I'll be like, I, I'm quite interested in it. I've got no retro sci-fi figures at all. So, like, you know, the rules come out and that, enough figures to be able to play it also get me going with that rather than going whole hog for it. So it's just. From that punter side, I think it's a really great thing. As ever, you know, it's that good Rick Priestley article from years and years ago. Within the hobby, there are there are gamers. There are people that just buy it and read it. There are people that collect. Some people collect and never take it out of the box. Um, and there are those people that are kind of game it as well. And there's a big Venn diagram of people that do different parts of the hobby in there. So mm-hmm. try to kind of cater for that a little bit. There's some people that just like reading the backgrounds of stuff, but will never will never play it you know um so we try to give something for kind of everybody if we're if we can when we're, we're doing them and with um the lurkers from the deep we it was lucky enough to be able to do the terrain with it as well because that was even these days with all of the you know countless stl campaigns out there seven tv kind of modern everyday kind of buildings in there there's still not loads of loads of them out there um and because the setting's so broad you can play anywhere in anything it's quite difficult to sometimes kind of nail it down as a terrain range but when you're doing the look uh, we're doing the feature packs is a bit easier so we had the lovely building with sarissa the flash gordon inspired one that we've uh, that we've got uh, coming up has got some stls this time we're going to experiment with kind of 3d printing um kind of people uh, this time so we've got about a dozen different pieces for that so ice world stuff volcano world forest world uh and a, a rocket ship and a crushed rocket ship as well um so there's some stl bits in there if 3d printing is your kind of thing so um I'd like to kind of experiment with some of them as well and sort of see what else we might be able to do or if there's another set of people that we can kind of reach with uh with a, with a campaign so we'll see how that one goes this time um Something I personally find really, really interesting and like to know more about, if you could, is the relationship you have with East Anglia Uni and their creative writing students. So working, they work on, I'm not quite sure what they do, but I know they work on coming up with some of the stuff for the 7TV uh, packs, is it? Yes, it's Edge Hill University um, in Ormskirk, um, so just uh, just outside of um, Liverpool. Uh, and we've worked with them now for the last four or five um, years. Uh, it's really down to uh, Dr. Peter Wright, who is in the um, uh, English Creative Writing Department um, there, who was a, a fan of our stuff, approached me at a show and had an idea um, for uh, a uh, Hollow Earth thing for kind of pulp. And then out of that, he said, hold on, I've got an idea. And uh, Edge Hill have got a small press um, there, Edge Hill University Press. Uh, and it that's shared amongst the kind of the staff in the department to do a project. So they've done books on poetry and 
that uh, that kind of thing in the past. Came around to Peter's turn and he said, I'd like to do a game. And they said, OK. Um, so uh, we kind of formulated a program where students and the point of this thing is to give students some commercial experience, um, either of the industry or get some transferable skills of just coming in to be able to, you know, not that they can't write to deadlines, but, you know, to, to work within a publishing team, really, um, for, for two years, doing a little bit of game design, a little bit of marketing. Um, so we've done that on Pulp for two years, and that was really successful to the point where Edge Hill said, could you do that again, please? Uh, and we did 70V Fantasy, um, and that came out um, last summer, and this year, uh, for one year, we're doing two feature pack um products uh, with them uh and we've also had the opportunity with those students some of them have then gone on to um either freelance with us or um give a shout out to to callum france who's now working for three days um uh, a week for war games illustrated as one of their painters and he's had some feature articles published in the in the mag um as well and he freelances for me doing other bits and pieces and there's another two of the uh of the alumni now they left last year who are writing um, feature packs for me. So the whole idea is what really is that when we found this, when they're going into kind of interviews, the interviewers are going, what's this weird seven TV thing that you did uh, at Union there? Tell us a little bit more about that. And it just gives them something a little bit more memorable kind of to kind of talk about to get their foot in the door when they're when they're trying to get employed, really. So that's been that's been a joy to do really just to work with teams again I, my background's publishing and i kind of when i went off to do cookie dust kind of on my own missed working with teams again so that's been it's been really nice to be able to kind of do that and also give some opportunities to kind of students along the way really so i'm um, at, this, at two o'clock this afternoon i'm briefing the um the the next lot for their for their next module um because peter uses the 7tv rules within one of his teaching modules um about um uh, introduction to narrative kind of skirmish games so they they teach a couple of uh, gaming modules as part of the creative writing suite of uh, of, uh, of of courses there so yeah no it's been Fantastic. it's been great it's been great really good as a former creative writing student that sounds so much more fun than the business of writing uh, which was all the module I did, which was like, this is how you actually make a living at creative writing. And it's basically, you can't, don't get a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> there is an element of that, what I'm saying in there. It's, it's, it's you sort of can, but, don't, but you know, you, you might have to be doing a couple of jobs before, before you can get to that, that, that point. It's a, it's a tough business. Uh, but there, there's lots of gaming companies out there and lots of creative opportunities for people, or just opportunities to write full stop, to be honest with you, if you, uh, you know, if you want to but yeah no it's been it's been good they do a couple of different modules there kind of on world building and, uh, and narrative gaming and that kind of stuff that, that peter runs so it's been it's been really nice to kind of develop that relationship with them over the last few years cool so if anybody's got any or if you're a younger person you've got any relatives who might be interested in looking at where to do an interesting creative writing course check them out it sounds a really interesting syllabus yeah lovely university beautiful campus as well up there so 
a new oh, podcast we're now. We're both too old, Tom. <laughs> both too old. We can't sign up. No, shame. Mature students, I believe. Says, oh, I guess uh, actually, no, you're right. Why am I holding myself back? <clears throat> you're right. I've been a mature student once. I don't think I fancy doing it again. <laughs> I, I think going back to uni for a third time, I think will probably be a bit much. Just, just want to leave. Extra, extra mature student, <laughs> like the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else apart from the Flash Gordon um, coming up that you want to let us know about? Well, there's, there's the two projects that Edge Hill are working on this year. So um, we are working with Stoker Macaulay. So that is Bram Stoker's great grand nephew, Dacre Stoker, uh, mm-hmm. and Dr. Chris Macaulay. Uh, they are kind of taking um, the authentic kind of Dracula in there and, and doing games and various kind of multimedia bits with that audio plays. And we partnered with them um, and are producing 7TV Dracula, which the students are adapting. Oh. So it's um, that that the, the that that team's absolutely uh, flying um, at the moment. We're lucky enough that a lot of them kind of studied it at A level as well. Um, so that's that's flying ahead. And the other project is um, uh, Night's Terrors, which will be a uh, supplement, a feature pack. Sorry for uh, for eighties, which is a small town cosmic horror. Um, so imagine if John Hughes adapted a Stephen King script directed by john carpenter in a small town uh, uh, on, on the east coast of america um, where where weird stuff happens yeah, um, so they're adapting that at the moment uh kind of world building the town and the characters uh, around that so they'll be out um in the summer yeah there's there's loads going on really i mean we will have monthly releases uh, miniature releases um that, that we still get so there's plenty kind of um coming up for that as uh um kind of throughout the year um as well as all of these other bits and pieces we're trying to kind of support the other games as they um as, as they come out so um there's a, a kind of a little solo one that we've got which is called steel justice uh, that's a working title at the moment but that kind of a imagine kind of a cyborg policeman going through a, a dystopian uh, a, a city um, we're going to go back to uh, Lovecraft uh, as well, um, which I think we may just call Return to the Mountains of Madness um, as a as another one for another Kickstarter for kind of next year um, as well. Sign me up. Are there going to be giant penguins is the question I was asking. <laughs> I need exactly. to know now, giant exactly. albino penguins, are they Absolutely. going to be there? Easiest paint job in the world. You know, it's, um, <laughs> um, so we've got those and we're tr- going to see if we can try and get something up and, and running um via kind of patreon as well again to kind of help the students um with some regular 7tv kind of gaming content um which the students will will buy and kind of put up there so that they can kind of get um get their name on a, on a few more things as well so i'm just kind of looking to see whether we can do that and build up a little back catalog of um kind of scenarios and 7tv game stuff that we might be able to put out so yeah there's, there's loads as usual um and then the 80s kickstarter in the summer so that'll be yeah. the, the kind of the next box set as well stay tuned so, folks for all the stuff coming from crooked dice plenty going the, on is the dracula one going to be a feature pack or a new box like a horror box um no it'll be a feature pack for it so we are we're adapting the the original novel in there and kind of looking for places where we can kind of put skirmishes in but also gaps because the you know the novel's great um but it 
it can't just be two players sending letters to each other for like an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> can, you, or, can you? I want a game um, when when he's in the castle. Just doesn't even realise he's been kidnapped yet. <laughs> yeah, there were. I mean, that that bit's brilliant, and it's a really really strong start, but. It doesn't lend itself to a skirmish where it's you know really just one person in there. So it's where okay, so where can we do stuff with Jonathan? Um, so we've done that. We've mapped, they're writing the profiles and stuff um, uh, at the moment. There's we've talked about a kind of a horror box set as well, but we are there's one of the genres that we put into eighties is fright mail. Um, so uh, that we're covering quite a lot of those kind of tropes with 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 that. You have to kind of make a decision about what what works standalone, what's got enough kind of breadth to it to. Um, to kind of warrant a warrant a box, um, but no, this one will be a, a feature pack, and that will have miniatures. And I'm hoping that might have terrain with it as well, the Dracula one. Mm-hmm. When we do that, so that will. Um, goth, gothic, like original gothic horror, is a niche interest, but it's fantastic. Like, oh my god, you're being haunted by giant ghost armor. What's going on? Yeah, well, it's how, and it's the thing that's kind of, we're looking at now is how can we kind of get some of those horror tropes into the mechanics and the thing to, is that, so that, that that you get that kind of it's the mood and tone of it we've got yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you kind of how do you work that in so mechanically you're trying to kind of get some of that across as well so we've got some uh, got a nice bit of work to do on on that and some good ideas to kind of develop in the next couple of months i mean there's all those all those classic hammer like blood of dracula and like um there's the, there's the the trilogy of like the vampire the twin the twin vampires twins of, twins of evil I can't remember twins of evil yeah there's I'm sure there are people shouting at the podcast right now all the names of all yeah. the those, those classic vampire movies but yeah I would imagine it's got to be quite a challenge adapting things though which like haven't aged particularly well like I would even, I'd even think you like you watch some things from the 80s and you go like with some of them then like you're reading like things from the 30s especially like some of the pulpy stuff like i i don't hide my love of conan stories and i'm yeah. like reading solomon kane at the minute and it's like this would be a challenge to adapt for a modern audience because it's problematic yeah there are absolutely uh, i it's um del toro i think probably has got the best way of kind of looking at it when he was talking about is a good uh, Lovecraft documentary on uh, Amazon, I think. And he kind of says, look at those things as, as an historical record, really. Um, and there's certain things that we, uh, it, we just we won't do as, as, a, as, as, you know, a modern audience or as modern writers. You, it's just things have, things have moved on and, and changed in there. And it's always the challenge. You know, whether it's 60s or 70s or something in the, the 30s, you look at a lot of those, um, a lot of those serials uh, and of their time, they're, you know, they're terribly racist and, and sexist. Well, I don't want to write a game or play a game with that. I'm doing this for for fun. So how do how do we adapt? It's adaption in all of these things. All of the, all of the projects um, are to try and make sure that you can retain the tone and the sentiment of the things that loved and attracted you to or and maybe you know drop the and and, and move things on so that people can still love uh, love them without any of that um you know unpleasantness of the of, of the time really um but with Dracula, it's the same thing again. There's never really been an adaption of the the novel. You look at all of the different different TV versions of it, and they chop up that story and represent it in many 
different ways and things get lost and, and characters get mashed um, together. So we're trying to kind of do a kind of a, a, a true reflection of the knowledge of, of, the, of, of the thing as best we can while yeah. still adapting it to the form because you know that you've it, it's not only a novel it's a war game so there's got to be some compromises in there to to get the thing to actually work for that type of, of product so yeah adaption in all things really i think whether it's for social mores or whether it's for game mechanics really i'm really looking forward to seeing the adaptation of dracula i'm having flashbacks to being a student and writing essays and how it was all a allegory for female sexuality and the dangers of awakening yeah there's a, there's <laughs> there's there's a lot of that that's the you know the that um kind of erotic dracula doesn't really kind of kick in until the uh, the romantic one until the kind of the, like the 50s and hammer really before that it's the monstrous dracula that you you get um and you get that in the kind of in in some of the early kind of movies as well but it, it develops into this very kind of sexualized thing much much kind of later on um that's a lot of the fun about doing these things kind of just looking at it and, and doing the kind of the research into it and going, oh yeah there's it's been a some of these characters endure but they they change to fit the kind of yeah. the mood of the day really well i've got one last question for you before you go carl oh. we've been we had a couple of um episodes earlier on just uh before this one where we talked about the benefits of of small scale gaming and I can't think of anyone better to, to just to quickly put the case for 28. All your stuff is 28 mil and for your game. And, um, you know, why did you choose 28 mil for for 7TV? And um, why do you think people should play in 28 mil? There you go. Put you on the spot. Sorry, I've, Carl. Or, no, no, I've, I've always played it. I've, I've not really known anything else. I joke that anything smaller than that's probably a miscast. So it's um, it's something that I've always gamed when we did it um i you know we wanted the figures to be similar to kind of um hassle free and um and artisan um and and mark cobblestone who i'm a huge fanboy of to this day um so it felt the right sort of scale for what we were doing um and small skirmish really came out of the fact um is that a time poor the older you get and with families and work commitments and, and all of that in there we moved away from large scale gaming because personally we just didn't have the time for it and it was much easier for us to put on you know six or eight models than doing yeah. six or eight units mm -hmm. um, uh, of stuff um and i i never really enjoyed the large scale gaming where i'm spending a good hour and a half actually getting to meet my enemy and if i've <laughs> made a mistake in that or they put it in there then it all goes to pop I, I, I like something which was a little bit more um, agile, particularly something got you straight to the action. So you know, mm -hmm. you start in the middle of the scene, where where the heart and the excitement of the of, of the like narrative yeah. is, rather than the um, two hours of, of moving to that point. Um, so yeah, I find it a quicker, a little bit more action-packed format for for me. Yeah, but there's nothing I like better than looking at a you know a 12 foot by 36 foot table of a wonderful battlefield whether it's stalingrad or or you know a 40k table i can look at those for ages so i can i absolutely understand the the appeal um but 
it was easier for us to do something small, easier, easier for us to kind of produce figures for something that mm -hmm. was kind of smaller like that as well. Um, so yeah, I know that's that that's our approach. It's not necessarily yeah. the uh, the right one, but it's the one that kind of appealed to uh, to us that we were excited about. I think yeah. when we started to do it as well, because it's about the character as well in the game, isn't it? So I feel the twenty eight, and I can hear again. I hear people shouting at the podcast. That's not the case, Andy. You can get character on a six mil figure, but for me, you can really get on a twenty eight mil. You can really get to see the character. You can really embody it in the in the sculpts. I think a lot better. Yeah, I think so. It's it, you can you you can convey it a little um, better there, but it's, it's still a good size, I think, for you know scenery and terrain as well for the size of table and the game that you're kind of developing. It all kind of fitted together quite nicely. You can have most of the show games that we do are on two foot by two foot, and you can have a good game for you know just an yeah. hour on there um, if you want. I, I think it's, you know, it's horses for courses, you know, you can play absolutely. what you like in any scale. At the exactly. end of the day, this is just a discussion, really. But, you know, whatever whatever works for you is absolutely fine. Oh, I agree. I think the most important thing is just play and, and, and play and, and have fun and, and, have, and have the game. Um, it doesn't it's matter. Game. Yeah, it's a game at the end of the day. Because <laughs> all the selling TV uh, games are figure agnostic anyway, aren't they? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we wrote it, it's, you know, who hasn't got a small pile of figures in, or bought a set of figures and thought, I don't know why I've got those. I'm sure I'll do something with those kind of down the line. Um, and that's kind of what 7TV is there for, you know, give you an opportunity to be able to game with that pack of, um, you know, teen investigators that you bought from hassle-free 10 years ago. Um, so. Well, if you haven't, if you're not already in that trap, what you can do is you can buy 7TV and then use it as an excuse to then get figures for it, for these different. It works both <laughs> ways, doesn't it? It's, it's a gift that gives both ways. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Carl. It's been brilliant to yeah, talk thanks, to you. Thanks, Carl. No, thanks. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Thanks. Speak to you soon. Take care. See you at some shows. Yeah, see you soon.